0: All right, well, if you have your Bibles, let's just jump straight into it. Um, We are going through the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 this morning, continuing in our sermon series called The Cross and the Crown. And today we're going to look at where Jesus was tempted. um, I think it was Martin Scorsese uh, got famous with his uh, movie, The Last Last Temptation of Christ. And there was just like a remake or something like that on one of the channels. And then... um, Obi, not Obi-Wan, but uh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor just played Jesus. Uh, He both played Jesus and the devil and Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think that's the only actor who's ever done all three of those. I don't know what that means. That's an accomplishment. But we're going to look at what Scripture has to say about uh, what those artists tried to interpret this morning. And here's my encouragement to you. This is a famous uh, passage of, of Scripture. Uh, often what we, we you know, even, even guys like Martin Scorsese, who I don't know if he's a Christian or not, will, will make movies about this. And if you've been in church for more than five minutes, you've probably heard this sermon preached before, or you've read through Matthew chapter 4, speaking about Jesus being led into the wilderness to be tempted. Let's not, um, like, allow all the things that we already know about it— um, and, Let us check out, but um, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts this morning and change in us what he wants to do, because that's why we're here this morning, right? Is to become more like Jesus. We're not here to just gather and smile at each other, although that's a good thing. We're here to uh, become more like Christ and to do it together and encourage each other to become more like Christ. So let's read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh, right? Uh, I, would, I would probably be hangry. Uh, my wife got me a shirt, or no, my, my daughter got me a shirt that says hangry. And if you don't know what that means, that means when you're, you're hungry, you're angry because you're hungry. And that is one of my sins. So let's just make it the Kelly Monahan version. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hangry. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7 Jesus answers, and he said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Third time, again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, all these people, all these cities, all these nations, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's let's pray this morning. God, thank you for your word. We're so grateful this morning that we have your word available to us. We're so grateful that we have the privilege to even live in a nation where this is available to us, Lord. And I ask, God, where we tend to take it for granted, will you deepen our appreciation for your word, God? Let it be ever in our hearts and on our lips, and let it be a light that guides our path. And this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, guide the, the path of our heart, and that you would open our hearts to your truth, and that you would open our, our minds to your ways, and, and, and even we submit, we submit our actions to you, God, that you would have all of us, and um, let us glean from your word, but not just learn, let us become more like Jesus because of the word today, and we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. That's, I love that tradition. That's such a cool church tradition. All right, well... Matthew is encouraging us again, he's speaking about the supremacy of Christ and the fact that he is the Messiah, which is the anointed one, the chosen one. And that's Matthew's job here when writing this gospel. He's proving to us that Jesus is a king, but he's not just an earthly king. He's proving to us that Jesus is the king, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And he is the Messiah. He's the anticipated uh, one that the Jews have been waiting for and saying, hey, who's going to rescue us? And so as we read through Matthew, it's helpful for us to understand the context and when Matthew writes it. And he's writing to a Jewish audience saying, Hey, I'm proving to you that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, why does he use this famous chapter four picture of a Messiah who is tempted? Um, We're going to get to the end of that, but as we're going through this, the beauty of having a Messiah who's not just this political king who's overthrown the Romans, who's overcome all the hardships of the the, the policies of their time, and they thought they were going to rescue him from this government, the beauty of having a king who's not just that kind of a king, but who's a king who reigns over the spiritual world and over our hearts, is that he was a king who suffered just like you and me. And as we're going to see here, Jesus overcomes these temptations. So a couple things I want us to understand uh, and as we go through this is I'm going to give us five points this morning. If you're taking notes, I'm going to try to get through five really quick. I usually have three, so I got my timer. I can do it. We can do it. You guys all right? You guys? Okay, let's do this. Number one, I want us to notice in verse one is that Jesus was led, but he was not tempted. Now, what do we mean by that? Jesus was led, but he wasn't tempted. Well, Here's what verse 1 says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So let's stop there. Jesus the Son, so we know we have the Father, we have the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? That is our we're trinitarian not only in our belief but we're trinitarian in our practices and so we we're going to baptize people today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so we understand that as Christians, there is this Trinity. And so Jesus, the Son of God, being God himself, being sent by the Father, is led by who? The Holy Spirit. Where? Into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted. What? Wait a minute. You mean you're going to tell me that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Wouldn't it be more appropriate, and especially in our American culture, to say that God always leads us away from the hardships? God always leads us away from things that might be hard for us, and we all, we all, we all view uh, temptation, we all view hardship, we all view uh, anything that, that buffets us as the enemy, right? And anything in this world is like, well, that, that hurts. I'm not going to do that, so God's a loving God, so of course he wouldn't lead me into something that would challenge me. But here we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says very specifically that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. For what though? To be tempted, but it wasn't by God, it was to be tempted by Satan, by the devil, by the evil one, by the adversary. And I want us to get this very clearly because sometimes we as believers often think, oh, I messed up because God brought me into this place to be tempted and so therefore God tempted me. But see, God does not tempt anyone. James says this in chapter one, verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So there it is, plain and simple, okay? If you've ever fallen into temptation, if you've ever given into the flesh, if you've ever said, oh, that looks good, there's the candy, I'm gonna eat it, and then you say, well, God made me do it. No, that is not true. The Bible specifically says, both in Matthew and in James, that God does not tempt us. So why does God take Jesus after He's fasting for 40 days. He's hangry. He's hungry. And he puts him in the desert to be tempted by the devil. Why does God test us? I'm going to give us three things why I think God allows us to be tested. So you remember, God doesn't tempt. He tests. Please excuse my phrase. Don't get upset. If you get mad at me, you can come talk to me after the service. But I believe that we are called to a kick-butt Christianity. Yep, I said the word but. Okay, all right, get over it. We are not called to a kind of Christianity that we just kind of like whimper and sit around and complain about how tough life is and we're not, we're not called to be victims in this life. Now, I'm not trying to cheat, preach some prosperity gospel like we're the head, not the tail, hallelujah, and anything that's, you know, all that kind of weird stuff you hear on Christian TV that people are just getting all hypey and stuff. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, if you call yourself a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Come on, somebody, right? You even see Jesus saying that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Often what we think of that is this defensive stance that the church takes, that the the gates of hell somehow are going to be marching forward. No, you know what that means? It means that we as a church are an army, and as we move forward, the defense of hell will not be able to withstand the onslaught of the church. That's a promise that we've been given. Now, how can that ever happen if you and I are these little emaciated weakling, weakling little Christians? You know how you become weak? is You have no uh, what's this thing? Buffet, you have no... Well, if I'm a CrossFit... I'm not a CrossFitter. You, you, know how you're, you know how you're a CrossFitter? You know when somebody's a CrossFitter, they'll let you know. They'll let you know, right? <laughs> right? By the way, I do CrossFit, you know. But, but if you do CrossFit, you have resistance. And that resistance causes your muscles to get stronger. And so God doesn't tempt us to just see if we can fail. He's not like, well... You know, I'm going to see if Marianne can pull this off. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew she'd see that piece of cake, and I knew she would fall. (laughs) (laughs) He does that because he wants us to be strong. It's like an astronaut who goes, we used to live in Houston. I mean, like, less than a mile away from NASA, right? And we'd go walk through the NASA... Whatever, and you see all the things, and they have this exercise machine that they show you that the astronauts have to do in space. Why? Because there's zero resistance in space, and what ends up happening to the astronauts' bodies is they start becoming emaciated. Their muscles start, their bone density gets gets smaller. Why? They have nothing to resist them, and we often float through this life and go, anything that is resistance, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. That is not the way of a Christian. As a Christian, we say, I see that resistance and I will take the strength of God and I'll kick its butt. Not because I'm strong, but because God is strong in me. We just say it. I may be weak, your spirit is strong. Right? Yes. Let, me, let me give you a, a third reason. Well, I didn't really give you these reasons. Did I, I just start preaching them? But we're called to kick butt Christianity. You'll never become stronger without testing. And number three, Satan doesn't back down the moment you become a Christian. This junk that some churches preach or you see it on TV, that all of a sudden when you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be better, that is a lie. What's going to happen is the enemy's going to be like, oh, well, we'll see. You just, you got baptized Sunday? All right, let's bring it. And he doesn't, he doesn't like, oh, he's suffered enough. Oh, she I've I've messed with her enough. I guess I crossed the line. The enemy doesn't have a line to cross. When you feel like the enemy's pummeling you, you know what he does? He doesn't go, oh, poor thing. He says, oh, I'm gonna continue to bring it. And if we have this weak, initiated faith that we think somehow we've been punished enough that the enemy will just let go, you are mistaken. God doesn't tempt us, but he does allow us to be tested because he loves us. He wants us to be stronger. It's like a dad, you know, come on, son. You might see his weak little son who's a little shy, and he's like, come on, boy, you could do this. And he, the boy doesn't want to do it. You know, I don't know, maybe it's a sports scenario, and he's like, you could do this. And like, I can't do it. And I'm like, buddy, you could do it. Push your son out there a little bit. You might get a little bruised. might get a little scratches but did you die? No, you didn't die. (laughs) All right. Number two, not only was Jesus was led, but he wasn't tempted by God. Number two, we must understand that temptation comes when least expected and when we're most vulnerable. Least expected and most vulnerable. Look at verse two. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and it continues in verse three, what happens, then the tempter came. Often, what we want to happen in our Christianity is for us to be all souped up, right? You know, you're slapping yourself the face. You're ready for this, right? Like the game days, woo, I'm into it, right? Well, in those moments, the enemy knows you are ready for a fight. He's usually not going to, you know, like the devil doesn't appear to you in like this big giant monster in your room and go, I'm the devil. Why? Because we'd all go, oh, that's the devil. Get away from me. Because it'd be so obvious. That's, That's what would happen, Isaac. See, the devil has a different tactic. And so he comes to us when we're least expecting it. Now, what does that mean for you and me? That means that you and I need to know what our triggers are. We need to be on our guard. You know what I used to do? I'm just going to share a little, I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you guys this morning. Uh, after a long Sunday, I mean, you can argue with me or not, but I, every preacher will, will say, like, when they, when they preach on a Sunday morning, they're giving it, they're all, you know, I'm prepping all week, and I come in here and I pour out my heart before you guys. Well, I'm in, flipping exhausted you know, And I think that's because I'm a rookie preacher. I've only been preaching for like a year. And I get home on Sundays, and I'm just like, Ugh. and you know what? I Come Monday morning, I'm just like, I just need to like, I want to sleep in. And what I would tend to do in the past was, I would indulge. I would sleep in. I would eat junk food. You know, all the fried stuff that I love. I don't like sweets. You know, you're not going to tempt me with cake. But if you're going to tempt me with something deep fried, you could deep fry a shoe, and I'll be like, yes, please. <laughs> You know, I'll just eat all the, like, the munchy stuff, and then I'd, like, um, you know, I deserve this. I'm going to Netflix all day and just, like, binge some series, you know. And you know what would happen? At the end of the Monday, I would feel horrible. I'd feel terrible because I just gave in to my indulgences, and the enemy would come, in those times of temptation and and get me because what I would do is I would believe this lie. This is what the enemy does when I'm most vulnerable, when we're most vulnerable. He gets you to believe a lie, and this is what he says, things like this. Come on. You deserve it. Come on. One little, like, this little thing's not going to really mess up your world. You just take one little look. You know, that little, that little thing that you look on the internet, just for a second, just let it give you pleasure for like 10 seconds and then turn it off. You know, that, 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 that one thing that you just want to say this little juicy tidbit about gossip about you know about somebody, just, just one little phone call. It's not going to really hurt anybody. Or what's the, what's the other lie that the enemy tells us all the time? It's like, you know what? No one will know. This only affects you. This doesn't affect anybody else. And what we do is we give in to these things because we're vulnerable and we're not expecting them. See, Jesus in the wilderness fasting 40 days is vulnerable. I mean, anybody here fast 40 days? I have fasted three days before without food. That is crazy. <laughs> if you know me, that you're like, man, I deserve an award, right? <laughs> 40 days without food? And he's vulnerable? Does the enemy come to him when he's like, man, he's all prayed up, he's all all ready to go? No, the enemy comes to Jesus when he knows he's at his weakest point. And for you and I to believe some myth that we are like superhumans, we're like these amazing Christians that could just take anything on, and we are oblivious to the schemes of the enemy, man, we're doing ourselves a disfavor. The Bible says, that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those he can devour. He's constantly looking. You know, it's like the National Geographic when the Impala, that one gets away from the herd and the leopard or the cheetah or the lion, what do they do? They don't take out the crowd. They take out the one who's just wandered off a little bit, paid less attention than the rest, vulnerable and weak, thinks that they can handle life on their own, and all of a sudden, then they are looking up at the face of a lion. There's, there's uh, something that farmers have figured out that they do with cows now. They used to, forgive me if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, um, I'm a red-blooded, meat-eating American, <laughs> corn fed, okay, so I am gonna tell a story about how they kill cows, but if you've ever eaten a burger, don't be naive, okay? So <laughs> what they used to do is they would, they would bring the cows in when they're about to slaughter them, they pretty harsh with them, just push them through the gate, you know, boom, do all this kind of thing. And the cows are all stressed out because they would see other cows getting you know, taken out. And so they'd come through and then they'd, they'd just shoot them in the head, you know? Sorry. Um, What they found was that the meat in the cows was beginning to taste tainted because it was full of adrenaline, because these cows knew something bad is happening. And so they're like full of adrenaline getting through and boom. And when they kill them, the, the adrenaline would stay in the meat and then they would slaughter and then the meat doesn't taste as good. You know what they do with cows now? They coddle them, massage them. They even have a machine that helps them feel like they're going through the womb of another cow to make it feel so comfortable when they come in. And little does this cow know it's all rested and peaceful and it's like, oh, there's something amazing. It's about to happen. And boom, it's dead. (laughs) And that's why your meat tastes better now. And that's what the enemy does to us, guys. The enemy coddles us. The enemy brings us into a situation because we all long for comfort. We all long for a life that's devoid of any, anything that will come against me. And we think we're just like on easy street. Let me tell you something. If you haven't experienced any ill effects of the enemy, maybe ask yourself a question, why? Why? Why does life seem pretty easy? Number three, temptation is often rooted in doubt. You'll notice here that Satan says to Jesus multiple times, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread, Command them to become loaves. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're God, if you're really God, if you're really who you say you are, you can do anything you want, right? If you're really the Son of God, throw yourself off. And you know what? By the way, let me get even more spiritual. Let me quote some scripture to you, Jesus, because, you know, the Bible says that if you throw yourself off, angels will come and they'll rescue you, and, and not even your foot won't even touch the floor. So if you are the Son of God, prove it. And temptation often comes, and it's often rooted in doubt. You know what I love about Matthew 4? Is that Matthew 3 is right before it. Why is that significant? Because in Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus, he's baptized. And at the end of his baptism, something beautiful and miraculous. And so the heart of Father, the Father God is poured out upon him. And this is what happens. Jesus, the the Father God says this over his son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes from this declaration of his sonship of the Father into the wilderness where the enemy says to him, if you're my son, if you are the son of God. And often what happens is we fall into temptation because we believe a lie of our identity in Christ. Christ. We believe a lie. We somehow think God's not good. I'm not really who He says I am. I'm not really. If if people would see how my week was, they should even know that I shouldn't even be here this morning at Sunday at church. I don't deserve it. And you guys, we have to do what Jesus did: is take the truth of identity. We are His beloved children. In whom he is well pleased, because that is ammunition. When the enemy comes against us, when the enemy speaks lies to us, because he will do it, when the enemy pushes against us and there's resistance, what we need to do, like Christ, is turn back and say, no, I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I am a child of God. And my identity is rooted in this. And nothing the enemy tries to whisper in my ear is gonna lead me away from the truth. And so this thing that looks so good to my flesh, I'm not going to believe the lie that this somehow will satisfy me. I'm going to believe the truth that me being a son or daughter rooted in my identity in Christ will satisfy me. It's like, I I often tell guys this story. when When there's sin in our life, there's two sumos that are fighting. You know what a sumo is? These big Japanese guys—they wear the diapers. I don't know why they're wearing diapers, but they're in the ring, and it's this sand ring, and there's like this thin little, uh, like, you know, just a little circle. And who, which sumo always wins? It's usually the bigger sumo. It's usually the sumo that consumes more than the other sumo because he puts on more weight. And for you and I, this identity line of crisis that we often walk is we can either feed the sumo of pure identity in Christ or we can feed the sumo of the lies of the enemy. And when temptation comes, if we've been feeding the sumo of lies of the enemy, when that that confrontation happens, what happens? Boom, that sumo knocks the other one right out of the ring. But our due diligence as believers is to feed the sumo of our identity in Christ. So when this scrawny little enemy comes up against us, the big rightful sumo goes and knocks it out of the ring. So time for that, boom. (laughs) Oh boy. All right, number four. Jesus redeemed our our failure in temptation. Hallelujah. We sang it about it this morning. You know, there's three kind of temptations that you see represented here. First, John says it this way. In chapter 2, verse 16, for everything in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. Let me say that again. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And you see Jesus here, tested in all three of these areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So Satan tempts him right in that moment with the bread, and he says, here, look, the lust of the flesh. Don't you? I mean, who doesn't like fresh baked bread with butter? I mean, and especially when you're hungry, right? And it's like, ooh, don't you smell that? And their flesh goes, yes, I want to eat that bread. And we all know in 2018, bread is the enemy for some reason, right? So, no. And then there's the lust of the eyes. He takes him up over the and he says, look at all of these cities. Look at all of these nations. Look at all of these people. I'll give them to you. I won't even fight for it. If you worship me, you can have it all. And then he gives him, he, he tells him, the, he tempts him with the lust of the, of the I'm sorry, the, the pride of life. Throw yourself down. Throw yourself off of this pinnacle because the angels will come. Prove, prove who you are. Show yourself a man. Come on, be strong, Jesus I love that Jesus redeemed this for us because this is what happened previously. And this is the curse we were all under. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this is speaking of Eve. So when this woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the, the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. See, what happened was Adam and Eve failed the test miserably. And you and I this morning inherited that failure. We inherited the sin that was put into us. And we're born with it. And there was no way to get around it. We couldn't beat it. We can't beat the lust of the flesh. We can't beat the lust of the eyes. We can't beat the pride of life on our own. So someone had to come and beat it for us. And that person was Jesus. Why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? For you and me, sitting here this morning, listening to this so that we can say we are overcomers, not because you and I did so good, not because, oh, I'm so strong. We can only do that for so long. But Jesus did it once and for all. Those struggles that you and I, those temptations that you and I deal with, Jesus went into the wilderness, hungry, fasting 40 days, and overcame it. And that's so good news for us. We're free. We don't have to be bound by those temptations. So the next time the enemy comes to you and says, Ooh, look at this. Don't you want this? Look at it. It is shiny. And your flesh goes, Oh, I do want that. It is shiny, right? Smell this. Look at that. Prove yourself over here. You don't have to listen to it. You are empowered not to. Before you weren't, before when you hadn't given your life over to Jesus, you were powerless. You had to say yes to it, because it was the only thing that was running the engine inside. And now there's a new engine, so to speak, inside of you, and it's called Christ. He's alive in you, and he's setting you free, because he did this in Matthew chapter 4. And you no longer are a slave to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You're free. You don't. And you can do what Jesus said, be gone, Satan. Satan. And what does he have to do? He got to be gone. (laughs) How did Jesus overcome? He gives us an example. This is my last point. By the word and by the word. What do I mean by that? Is that what I wrote up there? I did. If you're relying on the power of your own self and your own strength and your own flesh to overcome temptation. It's only going to last so long. And the saying that the world and somehow has crept into the church that God will only give you as much as you can handle is not true. God will allow you to go through things that you cannot handle. Why? Because he's mean? He's an ogre? No. Our whole faith is is based on something we can't handle. If we could overcome sin, if we could save ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. But we can't. And so this idea that we can do this on our own is not true. What we need is weapons. We've already talked about it. We have Christ living in us. But Jesus, you notice every time that the enemy comes to tempt him, what does he do? He speaks scripture. He refutes the enemy with scripture. He overcomes the evil one, the adversary, with scripture. Now, what does that mean for us, that we should go memorize our Bible? Yes, but no. If you're just saying, Man, I know scripture, I have it memorized, blah, blah. blah. That is not going to do you any good. See, scripture needs to be in you, alive in you. You know why? Because Satan can quote scripture too. I, I guarantee you that Satan knows the Bible better than anybody, anybody here. Anybody here. He could, he could quote it verbatim. And the thing about that is he knows how to take it out of context. He knows how to spin it. He tried to do that with Jesus. And Jesus overcomes with scripture. But he's not just spouting off like, scripture, scripture. And all of a sudden it's like hurting the devil. And he's like, okay, I'll leave. No, Jesus spoke specifically, spoke with intent. He knew the context. He knew the reason why he was saying it. And so the goal is not just so we can have all this scripture in our head. The goal is so that scripture is alive in us so that when the enemy comes and he tempts us, we say, nope, I remember this truth. I speak this truth to myself. And then with authority, I say, Satan, get out of here. And the other, by the word, I love this about who Jesus is. In In John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of who? Jesus. So not only does Jesus overcome with the Word of God, Scripture, but you and I have the Word, Jesus, God incarnate living inside us. And if we try to overcome it any other way, it's useless, it's futile. So my encouragement to us this morning, guys, there is temptation out there. But here's the beauty. Jesus overcame every single one. This is, well, where did I write it? This is, this is the beauty. Let me just sum it up with this. Hebrews chapter 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. High priest speaking of somebody who goes to God on our behalf. That's what a priest does, Right? And this is speaking about Jesus. We don't have a Savior. We don't have someone who goes to God on our behalf, who's unable, who's aloof, who's like, I don't don't get it. I'm just so perfect. I don't understand. But we have one who in every respect, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that is our glorious Savior, Jesus. Amen? Will you stand this morning?